following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. A month and a half ago, I went to, um, I was at Bangkok Hospital, and you walk in the door and they take your temperature. Uh, and this story has nothing to do with the sermon. But um, they ask you questions. They fill out a questionnaire. Have you been out of the country in contact with certain people? And then, do you have a, a fever or a cough? Yes, I have a cough. Oh, you have a cough. Um, sir, how long have you been coughing? I've been coughing now for 16 years. <laughs> You mean 16 days? No, 16 years. <laughs> and so then the nurses just started laughing at me. But <clears throat> I say that because often people feel compelled to bring me water, which is nice. It's so nice that people do that. And um, often uh, the reason I don't wear one of those things here is because I can't turn away from my cough no matter which way I go. So I like to use the handheld. All right. But I'll... Ask Jesus to keep me from coughing as little as possible. All right, let's go ahead and get right into the text. There's a lot to cover today. So, This is the parable of the sower, and it is in Matthew 13, starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. I would invite you to read along with whatever version you have. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell, fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed... Are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. <clears throat> to unpack all of this, and to cover all the deeper theological understandings and implications would take much, much more time than uh, we have today. I'm really trusting the Lord that he will work through my inadequacies 
to bring a measure of clarity to this passage and also to strengthen our faith and trust in Him. Please join me in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity to meet together with your people. And um, nothing good comes out of our mouths except it's from you. Nothing clear and nothing understandable. So I just ask, Jesus, that you would open our mouths and our ears and our eyes to you. I pray that the things that I say would be honoring to you. And that your spirit would be working here this morning. So that your truth would be revealed. And people would come to know you and love you more. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give a disclaimer from the beginning. Um, and I'm actually thankful. At first it was a little strange. Tim said, Mike, I'd like you to, I'd like you to preach uh, 13, 1 through 17. Um, but the, so the problem is, is that the parable comes at the beginning, but the explanation of the parable comes uh, starting in, in verse 18. And so I, I was faced with a dilemma because next week's preacher will be explaining the parables, but I just read them to you. So what do I talk about? Well, fortunately, there's more because the disciples didn't say to Jesus, tell us what the parable means. The disciples say, why do you speak in parables? So that's what I get to preach about mainly today. Um, As you see in the text, uh, Jesus has come out of the house, probably, most likely, the house of Peter. Uh, If you've been to the Holy Land, you know that Peter's house is right down by the beach. In fact, there's a synagogue right next to it as well. And um, so you can just imagine Jesus coming out, and he goes and he sits down at the beach. It says, it doesn't say in Matthew, but in the Luke text of the same parable, it says people came from towns from all around. I imagine all around the Sea of Galilee. So eventually Jesus was, was just being crowded and crowded, so he said, well, I can fix that. I can jump into this boat, just go out a little bit. And I don't know if you've ever been on the water, uh, like in, in the water. But when you talk, like if, if, if there was somebody at that building way over there, uh, you know, 80, 90 meters away, and I was just talking in a voice like this, and I was on still water, they would hear me. And so there's just something cool, because not only is there kind of like a amphitheater right there, but I think that the water helped to project his voice. I'm just guessing, but, you know, it's a cool story, um, whether it's true or not. Um, And where were they coming from? They were coming towns, and why? Well, uh, who was there? Uh, Everyone was there. What reason? For every reason. And um, there are people who really just well, they loved the thought of what Jesus was doing and saying. They, they loved listening to him. They went away amazed and they, they just they couldn't wait for more. And then there were others who just listened and they were baffled and they were confused. And there were others that were angry and they were threatened. So that's, that's the crowd that is listening today. So today, rather than talk about the parable of the sower itself, we're mostly going to take a closer look at parables in a broader sense and why Jesus used them. So, what is a parable? The dictionary defines a parable as a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus, by the way, is the most famous parable teller. Probably a close, I mean, the next, not close second, but second place would be Esau, because his fables are so similar to parables in many ways. 
Uh, the word, the Greek word for parable is parabole. Closer resembles that in the Old Testament where the Hebrew word is masel. At all times in their history, the Jewish people would have been familiar with parables. The Greek word parable literally means to cast, bole, something alongside, para, or to throw to the side. So a parable is a comparison of two or more things, one truth cast alongside another truth to teach a very specific lesson. I just don't have time to tell you the stories, analogies, similes, proverbs, metaphors, folk tales, and allegories. It seems that especially allegories are confused with parables. And at this point, I had really, I, I, I mean, I had like, well, I had, I had over 60 pages of notes. And I chucked, you know, 40 of them eventually. But I was going to... Uh, discuss the difference between an allegory and a parable. I, I don't have the time. Suffice it to say, for those who care about this stuff, as a literary device, the prodigal son is a parable. The, the parable of the sower is a parable, obviously. But something, it's significantly different than a pilgrim's pro, the pilgrim's progress, which is an allegory. Um, you, can, you can investigate this yourself. There are many parables in the Bible and only a few true allegories. So now that we're clear on that. <laughs> Why do you even tell us that? <clears throat> By the time Jesus tells the parable of the sower, the disciples have already heard a number of others and are surely wondering what's up. Eventually Jesus will, will give 17 more recorded parables in Matthew. All told, from between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells 37 different recorded parables. And they form nearly one-third of Jesus' teachings. So they're significant. But why, why does he teach in parables? I think most people have asked the question, why did Jesus use parables? They would answer something like, well, probably to help everyone understand the gospel better. But that's clearly not the answer Jesus gives. After telling the parable of the sower, when the disciples ask him why he speaks in parables, here is his answer. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. I'm so glad that the disciples asked Jesus this question. And questions like that. But as was so often the case, it's likely they were not expecting the answer they received. <clears throat> In fact, it might have been the opposite of what they were expecting. Wait. I'm, you know, they asked Jesus and they're expecting, I can just imagine them going, what? This, this is why you tell parables? As I was reading through this, I thought, man, just... From a first time reading, like if I go back, and this is the first, if, as if this is the first I hear it, I'm like, this seems a little harsh. In fact, it almost seems unfair. The secrets are given to some and not others. Those who have little will actually have the rest taken away. And then the quote from Isaiah, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. Does Jesus not want some of them to understand? What's Jesus really saying? <clears throat> well, during my research, I found person after person on the internet questioning 
This explanation that Jesus gives. Many seemed indignant as if Jesus was doing something wrong. As I personally was wrestling through trying to understand this account, I realized how easy it would be to look at this through my lens. What I felt was fair. What I felt was right. And isn't that the tendency of so many in this world? To want the Bible to say what they think is fair and right? To question the Word of God and to manipulate it to say what they wanted to say? Or at the very least, ignore things they don't like? And this perspective can change our heart. And in, in, and in our study of the Word, we will have a false starting place. As I studied this passage, I felt the Lord prompting me back to where my heart and mind should be. The rock-solid truths I can set my hope on, even when there are other things that seem confusing and unfair. I believe the Spirit of God is bringing me back to two foundational truths which, when applied to our study of Scripture, make such a significant difference. So I'd like to, to, to remove ourselves from this parable of the sower for a second. <clears throat> I want to just say this, and then we'll come back to that. I'd like to share with you these two truths, two truths with you as we enter into today's time together. The first truth, God is God, and I am not. Many of you are familiar with the story in, in Job, and poor Job, he was just getting, I mean, he was getting wrecked. God allowed so much to happen to him. And at the end of it, and he's been so faithful. But then he opens his mouth and thinks he knows something that only God could know. And God says, it, well, and then in Job it says at that point, the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, please. Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it, and what, what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, and he goes on. And at the end, Job understands very clearly that he is not God, and God is God. Paul states a similar thing in Romans 9. He says, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? When God allows or causes something which makes us uncomfortable, which seems confusing or causes us to question, we dare not fall into the spiritually fatal error of making up a God according to our liking. God is God, and I can completely trust Him. And the second truth, God is good. O oh, taste and see what the Lord 
And oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. The Lord is good to all. And his mercies are over all his works. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. God is good, and every good and perfect thing comes from him. So this is where I wanted to start today. This is where I want to start every day. And I pray that that's... That spirit will be here as we look further into this passage. <clears throat> All right. So a quick synopsis of what's going on. Again, Jesus comes out of the house, goes down to the beach, crowds come, gets into the boat, and then he starts, he starts to uh, speak to the crowd. I believe the most... Ah, oh man, I... I have never had such a difficult time preparing a sermon in my life. Um... I literally started over 25, 30 times and just really felt maybe three days ago God saying, okay, this is the verse. This is it. This is, this is the one verse, Mike, that I want you to focus on. And it's smack in the middle of the, the first 17 verses. It's in verse Jesus gives the disciples when they ask him why he teaches in parables. He who has ears... Let him hear. <clears throat> As a boy, I'm sure I heard my mother say something like this to me. Or maybe it was more like, Michael, you have ears, so use them. This is clearly an admonishment to listen, but it would only need to be said if there was a tendency towards something else, towards not listening. Having ears to hear is a theme which runs throughout the Bible, from the Old to the New Testament. There are over a dozen of these kind of references in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 5. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Ezekiel 12. (coughs) You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Jesus himself uses the phrase seven different times. And in the three recorded accounts of the sower parable, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the command is included at the end of all of those. But, is this really an ear issue or an eye issue? No. Fundamentally, Jesus is talking about a heart issue. We either acknowledge God as our righteous, holy creator, or we don't. We either bow ourselves before him in submission and obedience, or we don't. We either recognize Jesus as our Savior and the only way to the Father, or we don't. We either have ears to hear, or we don't. And the difficult truth shown in this passage is that the parables themselves were not primarily meant to change people's hearts or minds. The parables were meant to give clarity to a truth, but were meant for those whose eyes and ears were already opened. Look at the first part of Jesus' answer to the disciples when they asked him why he taught in parables. He says to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. 
Can you imagine how awesome it would have made the disciples, except perhaps Judas, um, feel when they heard Jesus say that? What a cool, affirming thing Jesus did for them. In saying this, Jesus is telling them that they are the good soil in the parable that they have just heard, that they have ears to hear, and that he knows their hearts are inclined towards him. But then he lowers the hammer on many of the others who had come to listen to Jesus for reasons other than the pursuit of love and truth. By the way, he's not, he's not actually talking to them when he says this. He's talking to the disciples, but he's talking about so many of the people that had come to hear. These people have come to listen to Jesus for reasons other than the pursuit of love and truth. They represent the other three soils talked about in the parable of the sower. Their spiritual ears and eyes are shut, and they will not hear or see. They are listening to Jesus to learn. Um, I'm sorry. They are, listen, they, are, they, are there, they are there to listen to Jesus not to change but to find fault and to accuse and to discredit. Um, I watch on YouTube uh, occasionally a guy, his name is J.P. Sears. And he's a comedian. (laughs) He's super funny. But a few weeks ago he released one where he's sitting on both sides of the table. And one, he's wearing a, a blue shirt and the other a red shirt. And he is a Democrat and a Republican. And he's, this, he's arguing with himself um, about COVID and about the racial issues. And at one point, one of his characters says to the other one of his characters, I am unwilling to consider how that might be true. But tell me more. <laughs> And I feel that that's so many of these people. They come to hear Jesus, but they are completely unwilling to hear what he's saying, to, to admit it's true. They are unteachable and hardened in their heart. <laughs> and here's what Jesus says. He says to the disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull with their ears, and they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 12 is confusing to some people, but it's actually, I believe, very easy to understand. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, and will have an abundance. But from the one who has not... Even what he has will be taken away. And I believe Jesus is just saying this. If you desire me, you have so much, and I will give you so much more. I will bless you. I will be with you. You will know me better. But to the one that doesn't care about me, they have so little. And as they live their life, more and more will go away. Because they don't have a relationship with me. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 12. 
<clears throat> but what about this prophecy in Isaiah? This prophecy is actually from Isaiah chapter 6. It's referenced four different times in the New Testament. But why does Jesus even reference it? If you're familiar with what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision and he's in front of the throne of God. And it's shaking and the seraphim are flying back, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're flying back and forth and they say this all day long. And Jesus is, uh, God is on his throne. And Isaiah is undone. He is a man of unclean lips. And he knows it. And he's ruined and he can't save himself. And God steps in, sees his heart, steps in and cleanses him. And within minutes, Isaiah goes from broken and unusable and hopeless to saying, I will go, Jesus, when, when God says to him, who can I send? And it actually says we, so I can say Jesus and God's Father. Who can we send to go and give this message that we have? And Isaiah says, me, I'll go. Just moments before, he was, he was broken and unworthy and sinful and ruined. And through the forgiveness of God, he is clean and he is forgiven. And he's ready to go do it. But isn't it ironic? And God is using now a person who is just that way, whose ears became open, whose heart was low, who, who was humbled. And he says, now you are going to take a message to the people around here. <clears throat> and God gives him a message to give to people whose eyes and ears are shut. Because they have not placed God in his rightful and proper place in their lives. And the message God has for these people, it is not unfair, it is holy, and it is just. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.